I've played them the past couple of weeks, and I'm going to play them again because I really like this band. This is the song Deja Voodoo from Los Wet Guitars. It appears on their album Majestic. You can find out more about Los Wet Guitars over at their Bandcamp page at loswetguitars.bandcamp.com or just follow the link over at monsterkidradio.net. That's right, this is Monster Kid Radio. This is episode 36, and we're going to talk about Disney. But trust me, it'll be good. I am Derek M. Cook, and I'm joined by my good friend, partner in podcasting crime, Scott Morris, to talk about some of the monster kid-friendly elements of Disney. We're going to talk about some things that you see in the Disney parks. You're going to hear about some of the things that you can see in some Disney films that are monster kid-friendly. Now, that's what's happening in part one of our Disney discussion. In part two, Scott and I are going to break down our top three monster kid-friendly Disney films. And actually, we cheat a little bit because we have an honorable mention, at least I did. I kind of sprung it on Scott, and then he pulled one off the top of his head and threw that out there as well. So that'll be in part two. That'll be coming next time. But in this episode, you're going to hear us talk about some of the monster elements in Disney. We're going to talk about, well, you're just going to have to keep listening to find out. We've got some housekeeping to go over real quick. First of all, this episode is going out Tuesday morning. Well, Tuesday night, I'm going to be at the Hollywood Theater here in Portland, Oregon, for a 35-millimeter print screening of... The Seven Brothers Meet Dracula, also known as The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. This is Peter Cushing. This is Hammer Films. This is Kung Fu. This is Vampire. This is a great film. This is one of my favorites. If you guys listen, if you guys and gals listen to my other podcast, 1951 Down Place, you'll know that I actually place this within my top five of favorite Hammer Films of all time. I'm excited to see this on the big screen. I've never seen it on the big screen. I've never seen it as a film print. This is going to be a lot of fun. And if you are part of our Facebook presence over at Facebook.com, you can find the Monster Kid Radio group and the Monster Kid Radio page. You'll see that I've actually created a Facebook event for the Monster Kid Radio Crashes, the Seven Brothers Meet Dracula. And I know that a handful of you are planning on going as well. So if you listen to this before the screening, expect to see me there. With my portable recorder in hand, if possible, might even record a little bit before or after the show. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm so excited. Other essentials, our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5MKR. If you have any feedback about anything that you've heard on the show or any suggestions for the show, drop me a line and let me know. And on a final note, my wife and I actually were just at the 99W drive-in this past weekend. This is one of the drive-ins that succeeded, that won the Project Drive-In, I guess it was a competition that Honda was sponsoring. They are getting the digital projector upgrade, courtesy of Honda. But you know what? Talking to the 99W, while they're incredibly grateful and thankful to everybody who helped put them in the running for this digital projector, they're not the only drive-in theater that needed a digital upgrade. So if you are in an area that has a drive-in movie theater... Go to it. Just go. I mean, it's going to be fun to go to a drive-in anyway, but there's a big difference between saying we support drive-ins and actually going to the drive-in and giving them some of your money for a night's worth of awesome entertainment. My wife and I saw two movies, not necessarily movies we'd talk about here on Monster Kid Radio, but one of them was Labyrinth, which was really cool to see as a 35-millimeter print. But these drive-ins, they're struggling, man. If you have an opportunity to visit a drive-in in your area, do so. Support your local drive-in. 
All right, we're going to get to things here. We're going to talk about monster kid-friendly elements in all things Disney's with Scott Morris from Disney Indiana right after this. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A port city in the Canadian province of Ontario and Canada's 10th largest city. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Oh, sorry, I thought you said Hamilton. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. think about Walt Disney, you don't necessarily go straight to monsters. You don't think of the spooky and the ooky and the creepy and all that. However, there are plenty of monster kid-friendly images and stories and films and that sort of thing in the Disney filmography. And I wanted to talk about that this week on Monster Kid Radio. And I wanted to bring my friend Scott Morris along for the ride because he is a Disney, is it fair to say, expert? Um... I'm well-versed in the subject. Well-versed in the ways of Walt. Well, Scott, you've heard on Monster Kid Radio in the past, a few other monster and horror-centric podcasts, but he's primarily the producer of the long-running Disney Indiana podcast. Over doing, five Scott? years. Five doing, years plus. Yes, doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for joining me to talk about some monster movies in the Disney-verse. But before we get into that, Scott... Tell us about Disney Indiana. Disney Indiana is a podcast that my wife and I uh, started uh, a little over five years ago. And we basically uh, talk about whatever we want to talk about uh, in the House of Mouse. We talk about the uh, resorts. We talk about the movies, video games, uh, whatever. And we can be found at uh, DisneyIndiana.com. You mentioned your wife, Tracy. I want to mention briefly that she was on the show not too long ago to talk about the Valley of Guanji. She was our first monster girl and. For the record, Scott, we did behave ourselves. <laughs> and I'm sure that episode probably is going to be a lot more entertaining than this one. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. What well, it had her on it. Well, okay. Good point. So really, listeners, if you just want to stop this now and go back and re-listen to The Valley of Guanji. Or just go play and keep this one playing so you'll think you've listened to two. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Tell you what. Better yet. Why don't you guys just go listen to Disney Indiana? That works. Then you can hear both Tracy and I. <laughs> So I wanted to talk about some of the horror elements that have crept into Disney pretty much from the beginning. I mean, they've been there over the years, and there were some really dark periods in the 80s where some really interesting things were happening. Well, it started way back when they were doing the shorts when you have things like the skeleton dance. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you think about this, if you look a little deeper, you're going to find some scary elements in Disney from almost the very beginning. 
Am I right? Oh, yeah. And in that and also in a lot of their big, huge films they're known for, even if they're not known for the scary elements, has touches like that. I mean, when you look at uh, films like Fantasia and Sleeping Beauty, they've got some pretty good monsters in them. Well, even more recently, like within the 90s or is it 90s? Hunchback of Notre Dame? And you also got Jafar in Aladdin was a pretty good scary guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you've even got, I mean, the, the classic, the one that started it all for them when it came to animated features, Snow White's got plenty of horrific, scary moments. Mm-hmm. By design. I don't think it was something they just accidentally did. Oh, no. I mean, at, at the time, and, and I would like to think now, too, a lot of the Disney features were not necessarily aimed straight at the kids. You know, they were designed for all ages, so you've got to, it's okay to have a little bit of the spooky, right? Well, they're also based on a lot of famous fairy tales. They go a lot farther than Disney ever went in the scary meter. <laughs> the scary meter. I want one of those. I want an official Monster Kid Radio scary meter that I could attach to my television set and then as things get scary, it's up or down, gets all the way to the top and it just screams. I, I want one of those. I'll get right on building that. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> We've talked with you on the show before about – your past as a monster kid, a star kid, a fan of sci-fi and horror, that sort of thing. For you, Scott, what came first, love of Disney or love of sci-fi and, and monsters? That's a very interesting question. I would have to say probably a love of Disney, being you know a young kid and, of course, an- being drawn to animated films and shorts and that kind of stuff. That was probably my first love, but as I grew a little bit, I discovered sci-fi and the the Star Kid element in me took off. You know, the, you know the gateway of Star Trek and that kind of stuff. So, but I would definitely say I've had a love of Disney a lot longer. Also, visiting the parks when I was young with my family. So, do you have one or two Disney moments, whether it was something on TV or in the theaters or at the parks, that really kind of cinched it in for you? I can remember becoming really a big fan and and this is going to be a film that's probably very hard to to track down nowadays is song of the south i remember very early on in my life my parents and my brother and i going to the old muncie indiana drive-in and this was back in the days where you know we had a station wagon and the drive-ins would play a family-friendly film first and then they would play you know a film geared more towards adults because the kids would fall asleep so my parents would make up the back of the station wagon as a place for my brother and I to, to sleep. And, you know, we'd pop- popcorn all day long at home, but then go to the drive-in. And I remember seeing Song of the South. Very vividly remember seeing this film and how much the music and the animation. I, I didn't care so much for the live action parts of the film, but I loved the animation. And I just, that was one of the early memories uh, for me of Disney as a company and how it kind of drew me in and I wanted to see more of their animated work. I think most people probably know the reason or the story behind Song of the South, but the reason it's not been released is there's been some question about the portrayal of the Uncle Remus character and African Americans in the film. So for whatever reason, Disney, at least here in the States, has not made this readily available. Although the uh, Br'er Rabbit story and Zippity Doodah are some of the more iconic pieces of Disneyana. Oh, at that, and they're also used as basis of one of the biggest uh, theme park attractions at the Disney parks and being Splash Mountain. Right, right. And I remember for years, uh, this would have been in the early to mid-90s, I worked at a video store and 
we had a list of all the Disney movies, what hadn't been released yet. And anybody who wanted Song of the South, we were like, well, you can't get it. But there's this Disney sing-along of Zippity-Doo-Dah. So that's about as close as you're going to get for an official release. It's been released in Laserdisc, though, overseas. Is that right? Yeah. When I lived in Detroit, there was a uh, a place that specialized in importing of Laserdisc that you could go and rent. And this was you know, back in the oh late – early 90s. And in Japan, they released uh, Song of the South on the Laserdisc. And one of the things that just blew me away when I rented this and brought it home is it had three different uh, audio uh, choices. You could listen to it in English, you could listen to it in Japanese, or you could split the audio English out of one speaker and Japanese out of the other, which was very hard to watch. (laughs) Wow. I'm trying to imagine Zippity Doodah sung in both English and Japanese at the same time. Yeah, the only uh, subtitles that were on the screen was whenever there was text on the screen, like the opening, uh, you know, when you saw the, the book that would open up, it said Song of the South, but it, below it would have the Japanese letters on the screen. But most of, this, most of the movie, there wasn't uh, any subtitles or anything like that because there wasn't much in the way of printed word on the screen. When you went to a park to begin with, was it world or land? Uh, world, which is the the Florida version, is the one that uh, my family and I went to. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, and it's sort of a rite of passage. Families, uh, you know, making the the long car trip, uh, yeah, <laughs> to Florida. Yeah. What did you think the first time you went through the haunted mansion? Because I think if you think of the Disney parks and you think monsters, that's where you go. Ironically, when I was really little, the first time I went there, I was too scared. I would not get on the haunted mansion. Wow! And, and nobody in my family knew really what the Haunted Mansion was about. You know, this is years before the internet or anything. So we had experience of Haunted Mansions and, and Haunted Houses in your in your local uh, county fairs and that kind of stuff, where it was a lot of bunch of jump scares and, and yeah. scary images and that kind of stuff. So none of us knew anything about it. And I, I was probably, I don't know, five or six and just did not want to go through it. Now the the next time we went, which was several years later, and I was a little older, I was I was ready to give it a shot. And I remember a little bit the very first time I went through it, slightly a little disappointed because it wasn't scary at all. And like yelling at my younger self, why didn't you go through this when you were here the first time? <laughs> <laughs> While it's not scary as you would think of horror films being scary, it is uh, a very family-friendly version of Scary, which was a lot of fun. I love the Hound Man. You know, I haven't been to the parks in a while, but I love going to it. Every time I go to a park, I got to go through it at least once. I love it. And I think you're right. It's not, I mean, really scary you. I suppose there are a couple of mini jump scares, but not many. Not many. It's more kind of a spooky atmosphere that celebrates that. And I I think it's a far, <laughs> far cry from, you know, the local fairs haunted house rides or whatever we had a haunted house ride at the local amusement park here in portland it was called oaks park it's no longer there it's been turned into some sort of weird explore the wilderness kind of ride with sacajawea and lois and clark all over the place uh it's a really (laughs) weird transition but i remember when i went in it uh, this would have been like 10 years ago it was me my wife and then two friends of ours we're large people i mean we're grown-ups and this little rickety 
cart was not designed to hold full four grown adults. So it got stuck in the middle and it shut down the whole ride. So we're in the dark and you can hear the sounds and all that. And there's a, a cart behind us of kids wanting to go ahead and a cart in front of us of kids wanting to go ahead and we broke the ride. Maybe that's <laughs> why they changed it to Lewis and Clark. I don't know. That's well, speaking of rides being broke down, the Haunted Mansion is one of the few rides that I've actually been on when it did, uh, in Disney speak, go 101 and break down. Oh, wow. What, what does 101 mean? That's Disney speak for an attraction has gone down. Uh, for some whatever reason, it's stopped. So Where does 101 come from? Just this, that's the code? That's the code that the, the okay. parks use, yes. I didn't know if it was a reference to a movie or something somewhere or whatever. No. Okay. But you've been on it. Yes. Uh, we were just about ready to enter the attic scene. We just come, come through the, the ballroom. And it stopped, stuttered a little bit. The music kept playing. But we were like st- looking straight at the wall between the two scenes. It wasn't that exciting to look at. But uh, what really got kind of probably the one of the more scary sounding things I've ever heard on that ride is at one point they cut the music but the audio animatronics were still moving, and now you could hear them move. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and the mouse clicking, clacking, and everything. Yeah, that, got, that was a little unnerving. That, yeah. <laughs> but we ended up having to be escorted back out with the lights on, which, you know, after years of wondering, you know, how do they did this? You know, how do you move around through here? It was kind of interesting to see a little bit, you know, behind the curtain. Man, I would have been taking pictures, busting oh, no. cell phones. No. I'm sure uh, they said no. Oh, but. yeah. Yeah. They they had cast members that would escort you back through, and you couldn't get your cameras out. Now, I did have my audio recorder on, but that's not a, as, as much fun to listen to because it just sounds like, okay, follow me. We're going to go this way. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. You know, I do want to do a Haunted Mansion-centric episode of Monster Kid Radio down the line. I'm not talking about that movie. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) That's that's about as far as we'll take that. But uh, as far as the ride goes, I'd love to talk about it on Monster Kid Radio down the line. I'll invite you back on, Scott, to do it. Maybe have Tracy on do a little roundtable. And there's somebody else that I want to bring in for that as well. Kurt Russell? Uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have you ever seen there's – there's an old video from Disneyland oh. from the Disneyland TV show where uh, Kurt Russell actually takes a ride through the Haunted Mansion and they talk about the Haunted Mansion. Wow. Back when he was one of their uh, child star actors. I may have that. I've got a DVD uh, from the Extinct Attractions folks of, of all the Haunted Mansion stuff. So I wonder if it's on that. I believe it is, but I, I don't know. It, it's, it's also on YouTube. I'm to track that down. Now, the park in Florida doesn't just have the Haunted Mansion. There's another Monster Kid-friendly attraction there, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Yes, that's actually in California now as well. They they cloned it out there, and they've cloned it um, in Tokyo, I believe. Okay. What's your experience with that? I mean, you've done that as well, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. That was uh, the first time uh, we rode that, uh, Tracy and I. We were down there, and it is amazingly themed ride. It's an old hotel. It looks like an old 13-story hotel that it's all this Art Deco style. And supposedly the backstory was one Halloween night, a massive storm kicked up and struck the hotel with lightning just as a group of people were in an elevator, and these folks were never seen again. So they were supposedly taken off into the Twilight Zone. So when you walk up to this building and it's at the end of the street, so it like dominates the whole view. There's this beautiful 
the style of the building, but there looks like it's been charred right in the center of it where the lightning struck it. And you go in and you enter in the lobby and the lobby looks like it's just the same as it would have looked uh, back in, in the twenties or thirties or forties, whenever that was originally in use, not much has changed. I mean, there's, there's all the decorations are the same. There's spider webs everywhere. There's one of those uh, glassed-in signs that has the little push letters in it that used to have, like, where all the services were listed. But if you look in the glass case and look down where you can't, some way you wouldn't normally look, the letters that have fallen off the sign down there, it says, Evil Tower, You Are Doomed. Really? Yes. (laughs) That's kind of cool. But then you go through, and they have a video playing that has kind of the backstory of the ride, and it's like you're entering into an episode of The Twilight Zone. They've got a a Rod Serling impersonator who does a really good job of of being Rod Serling, telling you the the backstory about the, the party and the lightning and the people disappearing. And that the fact that none of the hotel elevators to this day work except for one of the service elevators. So then they take you downstairs into what looks like this old boiler room for the hotel and everything. And there's the service elevators. And you go into the service elevators. They take you up to the top to the 13th floor. And you're thinking, okay, now you know it's your own standard. We're going to drop. But no, the whole car literally floats out of the elevator shaft. And it, it feels like you're floating through, you know, the Twilight Zone. They have a lot of the iconic things that you would see, like in the um, the opening credits, like the, the opening credits. TV and all that stuff. Yeah, right? the kind of float around and everything. And it, it's a short journey through that, and then you feel yourself lock into another elevator shaft. The doors open, and you have a lookout over the entire park, and then you drop. And it's not just a straight drop. They actually pull you down so you fall faster than gravity. And it's one of these things where you have no idea how many times, because the, they say the tower is in control. It's random how many times you'll go up and down. It used to be the one time, and then like they reprogrammed it, and it was two, and then it was four, and now it, you don't know when the ride's going to be over. And the very first time Tracy and I rode this ride, we get to that point where it locks us into the second shaft. The doors open. My wife looks out, and she starts, what rating does this show have? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard this story before in private conversation. Um, let's just say that Tracy says something very undisney like We'll leave it at that. But she held she held that the entire time we were going up and down. <laughs> and it was almost sort of like a Doppler sounding effect to me being right next to her. And we didn't buy the picture because back then we thought it was too expensive to buy the pictures. And it was before camera phones. So we didn't really have a picture of it. But when you exit the ride, they take your picture sometime on it. And Tracy's got this terrified look on her face and I'm laughing because I'm laughing at her, uh, what she's doing. So. <laughs> I had a similar experience where uh, I don't like roller coasters. I don't do the roller coaster thrill ride thing. I just don't like being that out of control. And uh, Brenda and I were in Disney world and she says, let's go on the tower of terror. And I call her bluff. Okay, fine. Let's do it. We make our way through it. We're enjoying the queue area. It is wonderfully themed. We get into the machine itself, and this whole time I'm thinking she's going to back out. Nope, she doesn't back out. So, all right, we're going to do it until we get locked into the cage. And that's when she freaks out. And we're on the side. We're on the edge of it. And she locks her fingers into that wire mesh. Mm Mm-hmm. 
the entire time just death gripping onto that. I had a blast. I'm glad I did it. And uh, that that's one of the two rides that I would go back to for sure. You know, that Haunted Mansion. So They do have what they call a chicken exit. You can go through the whole queue. You can see the, the lobby of the hotel. You can get up to the point where you would enter that elevator, and then they have a chicken exit if you don't want to ride. Exactly. Yeah. No, we didn't uh, get to that point until we got locked into the cage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fun, though. The Rod Serling lookalike, they actually have video of Rod Serling that's been digitally altered. Right. Because then they have to t- CG out the cigarette. Yes, they did that. They're used to that. They have to do that on a lot of uh, Walt's pictures as well. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the classic Steve Gutenberg movie, Tower of Terror, that was based on... Classic? No, no not <laughs> no, so much? Not so much. <laughs> or that's not going to make your list here later? Uh, no. Oh. I have seen it, though, but no. <laughs> Either way, though, so if you look for it, you're going to find the spooky in Disney. I mean, these are probably the most spot-on, on-the-nose elements. But even before we started recording here, you dropped a name that is terrifying in all of Disneydom, Chernobog. Oh, I thought you were going to say Michael Eisner. Well, there, there's that too, but Michael <laughs> Eisner actually is going to appear on my list later, and, and sort of. But <laughs> Chernobog from Fantasia, I mean, what is Chernobog? He's like this big demon guy? Pretty much. I've also heard rumors that he's pretty much the devil himself, not just a demon. He's the head demon. Yeah, he's, he's big bad. He's a big bad. Yes, and he also pretty much resurrects the dead to fly around in the uh, Night on Bald Mountain sequence from the original Fantasia. Right. I mean, he's based on the a god from Slavic mythology. So, I mean, he's not just this, you know, fluffy little thing that Disney came up with. I mean, this is this demon devil character. Did he turn up in Fantasia 2000? He did not. In Fantasia 2000, they had the Firebird. Okay. Which was the big bad in, in 2000, because he was kind of a big, huge fireball that came out of a volcano. Okay. So he only, we're calling him he, but you know it only appears in Fantasia. Correct. The character also appeared in the um, Main Street Electrical Parade. They had a, oh, uh, wow. a float of him. It started off to look like a mountain, and it had the uh, red lights all around it, but then the mountain would open up and the the two sides would become his big wings and then his head would come out and then it would have all the smoke coming out and then it would fold back up. Wow, that would have been fascinating to see. I wonder if there's, there's probably pictures online somewhere. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, so you have Chernobog and then if you look at any of it, like you said earlier, any of the ones that are based on classic folklore, you've got you know, the dragon in Sleeping Beauty. You've got the witch in Snow White. You've got all these iconic villains from Disney. One of the ones that I wanted to mention, which is probably not as well known, is the Gnome King from Return of the Oz. Ah, uh, so yes. The rock guy. He was quite uh-huh. uh, scary as well. Yep. And then, of course, yep. I'm sure that you want to mention one of your favorites. Well, i got to mention the Black Cauldron, <laughs> which you know, it comes from that dark 80s period of Disney. And you know what? I keep calling it the dark 80s period. Do you know what I mean? Is that an accurate description of what Disney was kind of going through at the time? Yeah. Up until 89, when The Little Mermaid came out, there was a a period in the early to mid 80s where everything that they put out, nothing really stuck with the audience. There was a lot of movies that have cult followings like The Black Cauldron and Tron, but none of them were the real big success until what's called the the second golden age of animation, starting with The Little Mermaid. 
And there were some weird things going on behind the scenes as well at the time, wasn't there? That they kind of caused some maybe not so cohesive releases? Yeah, there's a movie, uh, a documentary out there called Waking Sleeping Beauty that uh, Tracy and I have seen. And it's basically about this time in uh, Disney's history. It's all behind the scenes. It has interviews with different people that were uh, involved. And it basically tells the story of you know Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg and the fights, inner fights between what direction we're going to take the company, what they should do. A lot of this happened after Michael Eisner's right-hand man, Frank Wells, who was really one that kind of helped Eisner understand the world of Disney and led to a lot of Eisner's early success uh, with the company, he passes away in a helicopter accident. And at that time, Disney kind of loses a, a little of their direction. Michael Eisner becomes more of an empire builder and the, the different little parts of Disney are, are fighting each other. And it's a fascinating documentary if you get a chance to see it. Uh, a few years ago, the gentleman that made it uh, was actually a Purdue uh, alumni, and he brought the film here on campus where I work. And uh, we got to see it with him, which, which was very cool. But it's uh, it's well worth uh, seeking out if you're a, a fan of, of Disney to seek sort of some of Disney's darker past, darker side. Well, The Black Cauldron came out right in the middle of all that, and they had different producers involved and there was a changing of the guard at the top which kind of led to this disjointed plan for the film really i mean it's a very dark disney film i believe it was the first pg rated disney film yes it was the first animated for animated features anyway it was the first animated feature from disney to not have any original songs thrown into the mix it features zombies which people who know my past (laughs) know that i've got kind of an affinity for that sort of thing it's based on a series of young adult, basically. I don't think they were called young adult at the time, but young adult fantasy novels that I loved growing up. So I've got a lot of love for The Black Cauldron. <laughs> a big fan of that film. And there are plenty of things in that movie. The Horned King, which is just a creepy looking dude. <laughs> it's a wonderful <laughs> monster in that movie. So, yeah, you got The Black Cauldron. You've got all these villains in these films. And, you know, we mentioned The Hunchback of Notre Dame at the very beginning of this. And I want to touch base on that because that movie did not start life as a Disney film, right? Oh, no, that was uh, originally uh, going to be a Broadway musical. You can definitely tell that in the music. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, Hunchback, Lon Chaney Sr., you made that character iconic and, and definitely throws this film, the original film anyway, and the story, I suppose, a little bit into the Monster Kid canon. Disney comes along and turns it into a Disney movie. Oh, wow. I wasn't a big fan of the film. Maybe because it just didn't feel like it should have been a Disney movie. I feel like there are a lot of things in it that are not Disney, which are great. And then enter Jason Alexander as the farting you know, gargoyle. I, I don't know. I, it just doesn't make <laughs> sense for me. Well, to me, it has one of the creepiest, scariest characters. Oh. Uh-huh. Go ahead. <laughs> Keep going. I'm trying to remember his exact name. The preacher guy, though, right? Yeah. The whole scene where he's watching the fire, you know, you've got Esmeralda dancing around, and then what he, what he's singing about is just creepy for a Disney film. Yeah, Hellfire is Hellfire the name of the song, right? the name of the song yes. The Hellfire will burn the lustful flesh from my sinful body or something along yes. the The lyrics of that song, I, I think I kind of butchered it, but the lyrics in that song are just intense. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a judge. It's a judge. Judge right? is it Frollo? Is that who that is? Yeah, 
Yeah, Judge he's Frodo. he's the uh, archdeacon at uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry, I'm from Indiana. I call it Notre Dame. So okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that that whole scene is very jarring in that film, actually, because you got, like you said, you've got Jason Alexander being this funny little funny gargoyle little guy. gargoyle thing. He's yeah. Hugo, is his name. Yeah. But then you've got the hunchback itself. He's a very, you know, he's kind of a nice guy. He's just disfigured. And he, you know, he wants to be the king of fools. Obviously, have much of a chance with Esmeralda, but he's in love with her and he helps them and everything. He's not the, the bad guy in this film at all. Which is pretty traditional for the hunchback story. Uh, the hunchback is not, I mean, he's this misshapen guy, but, you know, he's the put upon one. He's the one who's bullied. He's the one that is ostracized for his look. So it's pretty in line with the original source material. But he's taking it in stride. Yeah, he's got his, uh, Tracy and I like to call his I Want song, where he's wanting to be out there in the public and everything. You've got the gargoyles who are their sidekick, the funny relief. You've got, you know, the whole King of Fools sequence, which is the big party and everything. And then comes along Frollo and, and that Hellfire song. It just seems so jarring and out of place to me. This fire in my skin, this burning desire is turning me to sin. It's not my fault. Really, Disney? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's pretty rough. But she will be mine or she will burn? Wow. <laughs> well, Hunchback of Notre Dame is not on our top three. I'm assuming it's not on your top three. It, list is, of- it is not on my top three okay. now. Yeah, it's, it's not on mine either, which I think is what we're going to get into next. If you head over to our website at monsterkidradio.net, click on the links and podcast button and you'll find a link to Disney Indiana right there. It's disneyindiana.com. So if you are interested in hearing about all things Disney from Scott and Tracy, head over there. So like I said, in part two, we're going to have Scott back to talk about his top three and my top three monster kid friendly Disney films. That's going to be a fun discussion to get into. He surprised me. I've known Scott for a very long time, and I tried to predict what he was going to come up with, but he surprised me, kept me on my toes. And it's a great list that he goes through. So we'll be doing that next time in the next episode of Monster Kid Radio. Also in the next episode of Monster Kid Radio, I'm going to tell you about a movie that I just recently had a chance to watch online. This is a movie that's going to be coming out on DVD here soon. I think it's something that you guys and gals are going to dig, so I'll be talking about that. I'm also going to be talking about a TV series that recently just had a DVD release, a TV series from the 70s. I'm in a 70s kind of mood. We've got this TV show from the 70s I'm going to talk about. We've got The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, a 70s film coming out that I'm going to be talking about and going to and enjoying. And you know, this movie that I saw that I'm not going to tell you what the title is yet. It's definitely an homage to 70s European horror movies. So I'm in a 70s kind of mood. Hope you guys and gals can forgive me because that's typically outside of our wheelhouse. But, you know, my show, my rules, and besides, I think it's relevant. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0, unported license. That audio clip from the skeleton dance that Scott and I talked about, that appears in this episode of Monster Kid Radio under the fair use clause of the copyright laws, and the song Deja Voodoo appears courtesy of Low Squit Guitars. You can find it on their album Majestic. Talk to you next time. <laughs>